Welcome to Apologetics with Brian O'Connell, where in each episode, I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. In our last episode, we addressed the argument made by Jehovah's Witnesses that Jesus was just a man, a created being, and not God. In that episode, we saw that Scripture clearly shows that Jesus is God. We saw this by looking at what Jesus said, as well as by looking at the reaction of the Jewish leaders. In this episode, I want us to continue our discussion on the deity of Christ. Let's pick up our discussion by looking at what the disciples said about Jesus. In a previous episode, titled, Are the Claims of Christianity Arrogant and Narrow-Minded? The Deity of Christ Part 2? I spent a lot more time going into what these men thought of Jesus. For the sake of time, I'm only going to provide a quick overview. So who did these men think that Jesus was? In Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 to 16, Peter confesses, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In John chapter 20, verses 27 to 28, when Thomas comes face to face with the risen Christ, he says to Jesus, My Lord and my God. In John's Gospel, the Apostle John writes in John chapter 1 verse 1 and in verse 14 that the Word was God and that the Word became flesh. And in Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8, Paul writes, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. There are many other verses that I could share, but these ones clearly show that these men absolutely saw Jesus as being God. Before we move on, let me read to you Paul's words from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. He writes the following, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What I think is amazing is that scholars date the book of Colossians and Philippians to about 60-62 AD, which is less than 30 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. Something even more amazing is that verses 5-11 through of Philippians chapter 2, which I just read, Paul is citing a Christian hymn. This fact is lost in English translations. However, in the Greek, these verses reveal poetic stanzas in a linguistic style that clearly points to a hymn that Paul is quoting. Scholars haven't been able to determine a date for the hymn, but the fact that this hymn was popular enough to be circulating through the church and to be included in Paul's letter to the Philippians shows that the church worshipped Christ as God from its inception. In our last episode, I pointed out that Jehovah's Witnesses claim that Jesus never claimed to be God, and that the Bible does not teach the deity of Christ. 
They claim that Christians deified Christ hundreds of years after Christ's death. However, it's clear from what we saw in our last episode dealing with the sayings of Jesus, as well as the reaction of the Jewish leaders, that Jesus clearly claimed to be God. Not only that, but in this episode, we've just seen that the disciples of Jesus also believed that Jesus was God. This belief that Jesus is God was not something that evolved over hundreds of years. The evidence is clear that the church worshipped Jesus as God from the very beginning. In fact, the hymn that Paul quotes in his letter that was written less than 30 years after the death and resurrection of Christ shows that the church believed in the deity of Christ from the beginning and that the Bible clearly teaches Christ's deity. Before we move on, I want to share a quote from Joshua Chatrow's book, Telling a Better Story. He points out something very important, which is that in Jewish culture, men and angels did not receive worship, yet Jesus did. Chatrow writes the following, quote, It's important to note that Jesus was not worshipped as some kind of special angel. Angels do not create. This was a function of God in the Hebrew Scriptures. But it is clear that in some of the earliest biblical texts that we have, Jesus does create. We see examples of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4-6, through 6, and Colossians chapter 1, verses 15-20. through 20. Angels are not to be worshipped. This is made clear in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, and chapter 22, verses 8 through 9. Yet Jesus was worshipped in the early church because his followers viewed him as sharing the divine identity with God the Father. We see examples of this in Hebrews chapter 1, as well as Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, end quote. In their book, The Cradle, the Cross, and the Crown, Andreas Kossenberger, Scott Kellum, and Charles Corals point out that Galatians was most likely written in AD 48-49. They explained that, quote, four times the letter calls Jesus God's Son. It also repeatedly assigns to Jesus the title Lord, a title of deity that was the preferred substitute for the name Yahweh in Jewish Greek texts, as well as in Paul's letters, end quote. They go on to write, quote, if Galatians is indeed the earliest of Paul's letters, and perhaps even the earliest New Testament document, this high Christology is even more significant. Galatians clearly demonstrates that a high Christology was not a product of theological evolution in which Jesus grew from a mere man to semi-divine to divine as stories about him were embellished and descriptions of him were exaggerated. Rather, the earliest Christology is a high Christology because Jesus himself claimed and demonstrated his deity before his earliest followers. End quote. In his book, Rediscovering the Church Fathers, Michael Haken quotes from Melito of Sardis, which showed that Jesus was believed to be God from the very start of the church. Melito lived from 100 to 180 AD, and he said the following, quote, God has been murdered, end quote. Now, should we base our theology based on the words of men? Absolutely not. 
We need to see if what they say is based on Scripture. We need to ask ourselves, where in the Bible does it say that God died? We know that Jesus died, yet here in this quote that I just shared, Melito is claiming that God was murdered, stating that Jesus is God. However, where in Scripture is there anything that supports this statement by Melito? In order to answer this question, we need to look at two sections of Scripture, Isaiah and Revelation. First, let's look at Isaiah. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Four chapters later, Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 48, verses 12 to 13, Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Surely my hand founded the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I called to them, they stand together. In these two verses, notice that God said that I am the first and I am the last. Not only that, but God makes it clear that there is no other God besides Him. With this understanding, let's now look at the book of Revelation to see what God tells us. In Revelation chapter 22 verse 13, God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Elsewhere, God says in Revelation chapter 21, verses 5 through 7, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So here in these verses, we see that not only is God the first and the last, but he is also the Alpha and the Omega, and the beginning and the end. These are all titles that God uses to describe himself. Not only that, but as I just mentioned, God has made it clear that there is no other God besides him. So with this knowledge and understanding, let's now look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. In this verse, we read, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In this verse, it's clear that God is the one who's speaking. He even uses his title of the Alpha and the Omega. But even if this title wasn't enough, the verse lets us know that it is the Lord God who's speaking. So why am I pointing this out? How does this relate to Melito stating that God was murdered? To answer this, let's now look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. Listen to what these verses say. The Apostle John is speaking, and he writes the following, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Let me stop us right here. 
So far, what we've seen from Isaiah and from parts of Revelation, we know that it is God who places right hand on John. We know this because of what is said in this verse. For example, the person who just places right hand on John identifies himself by stating, I am the first and the last. And as we just saw from Isaiah chapter 44 verse 6, Isaiah chapter 48 verses 12 through 13, as well as Revelation chapter 22 verse 13, we know that this is God's title for himself. So let me pick up reading from Revelation chapter 1 verses 17 through 18. Listen to what happens. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And remember, as I just said, this is God's title for himself. So now listen to what happens next. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. So here in verse 18, we just read that God had died, but is now alive forevermore. In other words, it's making it clear that it was God who died on the cross and not a mere man. This verse is another incredible proof text that shows that Jesus Christ is God. So now that we've seen that the Bible clearly teaches the deity of Christ, I now want us to turn our attention to the extra-biblical sources to see if they back up the claims of Christianity. In a previous episode titled, The Reliability of the Scripture, extra-biblical evidence, I covered manuscript, archaeological, and extra-biblical evidence for the Bible. In that lesson, I gave several examples of non-Christian sources and the things they documented about the Christian faith. Two of the people that I mentioned were Pliny the Younger and Lucian. If you're unfamiliar with Pliny, he was appointed governor of Bithynia around 111 AD, and Bithynia is on the northern shore of modern-day Turkey. When he became governor, he noticed that due to the growing population of Christians, it was having a negative impact on his pagan temples, and therefore the local economy. The economy was being affected because people were no longer buying animals for animal sacrifices in the pagan temples. Because of this nuisance, Pliny began writing to Emperor Trajan to see if this new religion should be considered illegal. After investigating this strange new religion, Pliny wrote a letter to Emperor Trajan. In this letter that was written around 112 AD, Pliny describes the early Christian worship practices. And listen to what he writes. He writes, quote, They were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day, before it was light, when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ, as to a God, and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to do any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate, and then reassemble to partake of food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. The significance of what Pliny wrote to Emperor Trajan is that his letter gives us an extra-biblical account of the worship practices in the early church. Not only that, But more importantly, his letter confirms that the early church worshipped Jesus Christ as God from the start. The other person that I mentioned was a man by the name of Lucian. Lucian was a Greek writer during the 2nd century, 
His writings made it clear that he had a disdain towards Christians and viewed them as being simple-minded. However, even though Lucian mocked Christians in his writings, his attacks are helpful for our studies today. For example, listen to what he says. He writes, quote, The Christians, you know, worship this man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their noble rites and was crucified on that account. You see, these misguided creatures start with the general conviction that they are immortal for all time, which explains their contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion, which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment that they are converted and deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws. All this they take quite on faith, with the result that they despise all worldly goods alike, regarding them merely as common property." The significance of this quote by Lucian is that even though he is sarcastic in how he describes Christians and their worship practices, he provides incredible support for Christians in modern times. What I mean is that in this quote, Lucian verified that Jesus had been crucified and that Christians were worshiping Jesus Christ as God from early on. This is another piece of extra-biblical support showing that Christians have worshipped Jesus from the very start of the church. Besides non-Christian sources like the ones I just mentioned, we also have the writings of the early church fathers, like Ignatius, Polycarp, and Clement. Now, you might be asking, who were these church fathers and when did they live? Well, these men were the disciples of the apostles. These men received their information directly from the disciples of Jesus. For example, Ignatius lived during the early years of the church. In fact, scholars believe that Ignatius was born around 30 to 35 AD. And we know from historical accounts that he was condemned to death around 107 AD, which means that he lived during the time that the New Testament was being written and died shortly after the last book of the Bible was written by the Apostle John. While Ignatius was being taken to Rome to be put to death, he wrote seven letters that were given to different churches. Delegates from these different churches were allowed to visit Ignatius, and it was during these times that they received the letters from him. One of these letters was for the church in Ephesus. Listen to what Ignatius writes in his letter to the Ephesians. In the opening of his letter to the Ephesians, Ignatius writes, quote, Ignatius, who is also called Theophorus, to the church which is in Ephesus, in Asia, deservedly most happy being blessed in the greatness and fullness of God the Father and predestined before the beginning of time, that it should be always for an enduring and unchangeable glory, being united and elected through the true passion by the will of the Father and Jesus Christ our God. Abundant happiness through Jesus Christ and His undefiled grace. End quote. I don't know if you caught that, but Ignatius just called Jesus Christ our God. But this is not an isolated statement by Ignatius. For example, later in the same letter to the Ephesian church, he wrote, quote, Being the followers of God and stirring up yourselves by the blood of God, 
Ye have perfectly accomplished the work which was beseeming to you. End quote. Later in his letter, Ignatius once again points to the deity of Christ. He wrote, quote, There is one physician who is possessed both of flesh and spirit, both made and not made, God existing in flesh, true life and death, both of Mary and of God, first possible and then impossible, even Jesus Christ our Lord. End quote. I've mentioned numerous times throughout several episodes that Jehovah's Witnesses and others claim that the belief in the deity of Jesus didn't happen until hundreds of years after the death of Christ. However, as just noted, Ignatius lived during the time that the Bible was being written by the apostles and he died around 107 AD, which is only around 12 years after John wrote the last book of the Bible. Ignatius was not influenced by legends that had developed over hundreds of years. He was influenced by those who were eyewitnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus. So in these letters that were written less than 12 years after John wrote the last book of the Bible, Ignatius is writing and making it clear that he believed that Jesus was God in the flesh. Twelve years is not enough for legends to develop. Besides Ignatius, I also mentioned Polycarp and Clement. As I bring this episode to a close, let me briefly explain who they were and why their writings are so important regarding our discussion on the deity of Christ. What's important to note, which I've already mentioned, is that each of these church fathers were disciples of the apostles. For example, Ignatius and Polycarp were both disciples of the Apostle John, and Clement was a disciple of Peter and Paul. In fact, Paul mentions Clement in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. If you recall from an earlier episode that I did on the reliability of Scripture, I addressed this topic. In that episode, I pointed out that from their writings, we see that these church fathers believed in the claims of the New Testament. For example, the miracles of Jesus, his teachings and ministry, his virgin birth, his death by crucifixion, his resurrection from the dead, and the deity of Christ. The significance of these writings is that it verifies and confirms that these beliefs were held by the early church and did not evolve over hundreds of years as Jehovah's Witnesses and other critics claim. Earlier we saw that the Bible clearly teaches that there is only one God. We also saw that there is evidence of a plurality. Not only that, but we saw that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are both God along with the Father. This belief is clearly shown in Scripture and is not something that Christians developed over hundreds of years like Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, or others argue. We saw this clearly through the statements that Jesus made about himself. This is also made clear by the writings of the church fathers, which were written shortly after the Bible was written. Over the last couple episodes, we've looked at the claims made by Jehovah's Witnesses, where they argue that Jesus was not God, that the deity of Christ is an unbiblical pagan doctrine invented by the church hundreds of years after Christ's death and that Jesus never claimed to be God. However, over the course of the past couple episodes, 
we've seen that the deity of Jesus is something clearly taught throughout Scripture and was something that Jesus himself taught. We saw that the deity of Christ is clearly shown by looking at what Jesus said and taught, by looking at the reaction of the Jewish leaders, and by looking at who Jesus' disciples said about him. Not only that, but we also saw that non-Christian sources also verified that Jesus was worshipped as God from the very beginning. And lastly, we looked at the writings of the early church fathers and saw that their writings also verified that Jesus was viewed and worshipped as God from the very inception of the church. In other words, when Jehovah's Witnesses and others reject the deity of Christ, they're doing so not based on any historical evidence, They're doing so in spite of the overwhelming evidence that supports this core Christian doctrine. Besides the doctrine of the deity of Christ, Jehovah's Witnesses also reject the doctrine of the Trinity in hell. Are these doctrines unbiblical? Were these doctrines created by the church as a result of pagan influences? Come back next time to find out. That's all the time that we have for today. Come back next time as we look at these doctrines that the Jehovah's Witnesses reject to see if they are taught in the Bible. God bless.